everyone, and welcome to the podcast. This is On the Dresser. I'm here with Lauren Kylie. Hello. And Danny Cruz. Hi. And Vanessa Carlisle. You're listening to On the Dresser. We are your bi-weekly dose of sex, gender, culture, and politics. Our shows come from the perspective of sex workers, sex educators, and queer people. We call our special brand of knowledge... Edutitillation. Today we're talking about sexually transmitted infections and sexually transmitted diseases, STIs and STDs. We're going to be doing some adult sex education for those of you who need a refresher on what's going on out there and how to talk about your status. We're going to be modeling some disclosure conversations just in case you find yourself in the situation where you um, are one of the majority (laughs) who has an STI and needs to talk about it. (laughs) But before we get into that conversation, there's been a lot going on with sexuality in the news, in part uh, because the sex worker rights movement has gained a lot of momentum this week with the passing of SESTA and FOSTA. Um, So let's hear about what's going on with SESTA and FOSTA. Danny? Uh, Yeah. This week, a horrible hybrid of the worst anti-trafficking legislation ever passed the Senate uh, and is headed to 45's desk for a signature. There were two bills. In the House, Representative Ann Wagner authored the Allow States to Fight Online Sex Trafficking Act, or FOSTA. In the Senate, Rob Portman wrote the Stop Enabling Sex Traffickers Act, or SESTA. Uh, You can hear a long version of these bills on episode 301, uh, SESTA from a sex worker's perspective, but here's a short version. Both of these bills seek to amend our internet law, specifically section 230 of the 1996 Communications Decency Act, to hold websites criminally liable for content that may be related to trafficking sex. Here's how Lorelai Lee described it on Instagram. Quote, these bills claim to target human trafficking but do so by creating new penalties for online platforms that are overwhelmingly used by consensual adult sex workers to screen clients, to share bad date lists, to work indoors, and to otherwise communicate with each other about ways to stay alive. Data shows that access to these online platforms decreases violence against sex workers, but I don't need data to show that my friends are safer with the ability to screen clients, share information, and work indoors. In 2006, my friend Sequoia was stabbed and killed by a client while working alone and outdoors. I know that supporters of these bills want to end violence against women and against marginalized people of all genders. So do I. SESTA will only increase violence against the most marginalized. Last week, we shared updates on FOSTA and its passage, 388 to 25 in the House of Representatives. Uh, it was passed with an amendment that makes promotion or facilitation of prostitution into a federal crime punishable by up to 10 years in prison. This week, the FOSTA-SESTA hybrid passed the Senate with a final tally of 97 to 2. The two no votes came from Kentucky Senator Rand Paul and Oregon Senator Ron Wyden, who wrote the original amendments that became Section 230 of the CDA back in the 90s. Before the Senate voted, Ron Wyden gave a fiery speech one which Melissa Gere Grant characterized on Twitter as a eulogy of Section 230. Uh, Here's some of what he said. The bill before the Senate is focused on taking down online advertisements, not on catching criminals or protecting victims. Taking down the ads 
doesn't mean that the pimps and predators say, oh, good, we've seen what the Senate is doing. We're now going to start following the rules. When the ads come down, colleagues, the criminals will go as fast as they can to the darkest corners of our society. Instead of stopping trafficking, the bill is going to push it to the dark web, the dark alleys, overseas, the dark web which you can't get to with traditional search engines. Moreover, Section 230 isn't just about hobbies and commerce. It protects the coordination of free speech, particularly among vulnerable groups of Americans. And it is because without the protections of Section 230, civic organizations exercising their right to free speech could be cowed by their more powerful political opponents. For this example, imagine a nonprofit organizing a campaign in support of a local ballot measure. They use social media to build awareness and promote upcoming rallies and events with online discussion boards. But without Section 230, powerful interests opposed to their work could just swoop in and effectively silence that nonprofit with an onslaught of litigation. In my view, the legislation will prove to be ineffective. It will have harmful, unintended consequences, and it could be ruled unconstitutional. This law has not gone into effect just yet. It's unclear whether that will begin 90 days after it's signed or at the start of 2019. But as a result of the passage of FOSTA, we've seen websites already pulling the plug on themselves. The ad site craigslist.org has removed all of their personals listing. That includes casual encounters, misconnections, even strictly platonic. Escort listings like City Vibe and Men for Rent Now have gone down. Verify Him, a site used by sex workers to screen clients and exchange safety information, announced that they would be pulling down their discussion boards as well. Even a furry site called Pounced.com, fans of that site started going on Twitter last night and today saying our internet forum, which has nothing to do with transactional sex, has been taken down. It, like I've noted, all these sites have kind of self-censored because they don't know how far SESTA and FOSTA are going to reach. Yeah, that's called the chilling effect, right? The way that the threat of any kind of criminal prosecution makes people want to self-censor. So it affects free speech in that way where it's not even a law yet. It hasn't even been signed yet. And we're seeing people reacting um, fearfully and reacting conservatively already. We are also seeing that some of the populations most affected are places with cheaper advertising or free advertising and kinky and queer spaces especially. So we're already seeing that the first waves of effects are targeting very specific populations, which were already the populations most susceptible to violence and abuse and abuse of power. So what can we do? 
Yeah, right now, uh, sex workers are scrambling to overhaul their digital footprint, essentially. People are moving to more secure platforms. A lot of the advice going around is to move to ProtonMail, secure communication apps like Signal. There's even word online that Gmail users who have pornography saved to their Google Cloud are finding it gone. So um, the advice is to download all that content off of Google Cloud or any other US-based servers and move it to sites that are hosted overseas. The same goes for personal websites and any other like communication or uh, digital um, platform that is hosted in the US. A lot of the advice out there is to move to encrypted channels and channels that are hosted overseas. All right, and if you are a sex worker who's interested in ongoing organizing around this issue, what should you do? There are several actions planned. Um, if you go to the website survivorsagainstsesta.org, organizers there have put together uh, and are putting together further email lists and information on community calls that people can be a part of. In one of the recent community calls, uh, organizers started talking about um, plans to hold a lobbying day that coincides with International Whores Day on June 2nd. Um, and what they're trying to do is get a direct action plan so that sex workers and their allies can show up very visibly. Um, I think the national organizers are looking to a DC rally, but already on offshoots of that, local organizers are trying to plan uh, local actions in various cities um, to have a day of visibility ahead of the June 2nd International Whores Day um, and then have large rallies on June 2nd for sex workers who don't feel comfortable, are intimidated by, or otherwise uninterested in legislative lobbying, another thing to do is reach out to sex workers you know, talk to your friends, find sex work community organizations or events or just people to be around because this is about to make things much more isolating and i really think holding on to each other is going to be a way to brainstorm harm reduction tactics and safety tactics in the communities that you know best we all come from different sex work industries and backgrounds and one thing we know is that it affects different people differently and just wanted to have a shout out for sex workers being together and holding each other up and supporting each other yeah, there was, um, we had some critique of the national call recently in that a lot of the focus was on like direct action, like the political side, and not a lot about what sex workers were talking about on that call was geared to what do the affected populations do now in the moment to keep themselves yeah. safe. Um, and, and I think that's a really good good point, Lauren, like having these like community spaces where people can... Uh, just talk to each other, like, figure out, like, you know, I've seen a hundred different posts, but I really don't understand what Proton Mail is or what you mean when you talk about overseas servers. And, like, it all feels foreign. Like, being able to collaborate in those spaces, um, especially after uh, these massive changes that we've seen to the way we advertise is really important. And I, I, I agree with you there, Lauren. Hey, Lauren. 
So there's also been some sexuality in the media with regards to bad behavior on Capitol Hill. As Vanessa said, that is not the only story about sex workers coming out of the national news this week. The Stormy Daniels affair with President 45 has also inspired another former Playboy model, Karen McDougal, to express her remorse and shame for also having an affair with the president before he was the president, in which she was very clear to mention that not only did he offer her money for that sexual relationship, but that she refused it because she is not that kind of girl. She apologized to Melania and Ivanka and was deeply ashamed about her part in the adultery and but also managed to throw a whole lot of whore shame which i was very very upset about and found incredibly obnoxious um but if there's anything we're seeing it's that sex workers have a very intimate relationship with politicians frequently And these are the same politicians who are passing these laws against us. So I'm not sure who they think is going to see them now, but. Yeah, if you're a provider who sees, you know, Rob Portman or (laughs) any of these fuckers that just passed Sester, any (laughs) awful legislation in any city, like, you know, hit us up. We promise to leave your name out of it. So what do you think is happening now? What's going to happen next, Lauren? You know, if we're going by the normal course of political history... Which one? Exactly. uh, Normally, I would say this would be a huge scandal that a whole bunch of sex workers are coming out with these stories. But it's been so overshadowed by all the other scandals, which, to be fair, I generally find more important than who he slept with and how much he paid them or if he paid them. But here's my hope. My hope is that because there is this history of the president paying sex workers, that could lead to a money trail that in a very Watergate deep throat way, once again, bringing sex workers, tracing the money that that can actually hopefully lead to some kind of complete meltdown that hopefully topples the whole damn thing in my wildest dreams. (laughs) (laughs) But the other thing it might do is make the entire concept of a non-disclosure agreement just completely illegally void because that's been an interesting sidebar. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting part of the question is can you get someone to sign an NDA uh, about some some sort of like personal behavior as opposed to signing an NDA about like you know a movie that's coming out or something like it feels like a really different scenario Um, so I'm really curious about that aspect of it and how if there is any developments there all right thanks you guys ongoing ongoing interesting stories On the dresser, we're going to be talking about STIs and STDs. And before I start going into some um, adult ed about those things, I want to acknowledge a a kind of historical piece about how we do end up talking about 
sexually transmitted infections. So uh, over a year ago, when we were a radio show called Sex Please Radio, uh, we aired a show about STIs and STDs. It was called HSV, HPV, and the Best Sex of Your Life. And we had a number of callers during that show who wanted to share information about their experience. And one thing that people seemed to have in common was that the conversation was not common for them. They weren't talking about STIs or STDs that often. And when they did, they had a lot of questions, even grown people who know how to use the internet. Why? Why is this? <laughs> there's, there's a lot of potential reasons. So I started doing some digging into the history of sex ed in this country, just how the conversations happen, who's getting taught what and when. And I want to be clear that from my perspective, we've never had a golden era of sex ed in this country. We've never actually had a period in which comprehensive sex education was the norm. Um, it's closer to being the norm now than it ever has been in our history. However, that was very hard won, and there's a lot of states that still have abstinence-only education as part of their mandate. So depending on where you're listening, um, what, how old you are, the amount of information that you have about the potential for your own body to encounter an STI and what to do if that happens is going to vary widely. Um, so we're going to start with some basics just to get everyone on the same page and to do some review. It can be hard to keep all these things straight in your mind if you're not a sexuality education person. Um, <laughs> if maybe you do other things with your mind all day, I don't identify <laughs> with that, but I, I'm sure it's out there. Um, and I also want to acknowledge that for many people, even if you went to public schools and got some good sex ed in the... Um, you know, kind of golden era of HIV education in the late 90s, uh, you probably still weren't getting a lot of information about some of these other things that we're talking about that are a lot more common. So we had a lot of HIV education without a lot of education about other STIs um, that was happening in the late 90s. It's all very jumbled up. Um, people who went to high school in the 70s and early 80s got real crap. <laughs> as far as sexuality education goes, even in California. So let's talk about STIs. What's the difference between an STI and an STD? STI stands for sexually transmitted infection, and STD stands for sexually transmitted disease. An infection is what happens when you have a bacteria or a virus in your body and your body is beginning to counteract it. You may have absolutely no symptoms at all with an STI. An STD is what we call it when your symptoms have become visible. So for instance, somebody who has an STI of let's say chlamydia, they may not know that they have chlamydia, they may not be aware that they're transmitting chlamydia, but if they give it to a partner who then has, let's say, a lot of pain with urination, some discharge that seems funky, um, that person we would say has an STD because they're exhibiting symptoms of disease. However, they both have chlamydia, right? So it's a little bit confusing, and I'm going to be using STI and STD interchangeably, mostly because I'm lazy, but also because I want you to understand that when you're talking to your doctor about them, they don't really care about the difference. But medically speaking, they, they are different. 
all people with STIs are not the same as people with uh, symptoms of STDs, if that makes sense. And in fact, most STIs out there, most people have STIs. Most people have an STI. Let's just put that out there. Not most people will develop the symptoms of an STD. Okay, so first of all, when you are sexually active and you have a partner or partners in your life, I think one of the things that I encounter a lot is people using the language of clean and dirty. And I would just like to uh, advocate for eradicating that as your main way of thinking about sexually transmitted infections. Um, no one is dirty for having an STI or an STD. A sexually transmitted infection is, is not a sign of something being wrong with you or something being dirty about you. And you're not clean if you don't have one. <laughs> you can say you had a negative test. That's cool. You can say your test was clear, although even that sort of smacks of clean and dirty talk to me. Um, but I want to be really mindful of the language that we have here because of how stigmatizing our culture is. When we're talking about STIs and STDs, we can get very emotional. It can feel very, very scary. And one of the reasons why it's scary is because sex ed uses scare tactics. So we've all been subjected to scare tactics in sex ed. And this is because the rhetorical modes of the Christian right are what researchers have called oppositional. They're they, they talk about sex as dangerous and depraved. And that language made its way into sex ed, um, especially in the last 30 years, because the conservative right is speaking more about sex and sexuality education than the left is. They're actually producing more content about it than the left is, while simultaneously trying to restrict sexual uh, expression and exploration. So this, this is a little bit of a brain bender, but the, the fact is that your feelings about your body with regards to STIs have been manipulated by a media culture that is being controlled by rhetorical fear, the, the sense that there's something wrong. That is not coming from the medical community. That's not coming from the sexuality education community. That's not coming from the LGBTQ community. It's coming from a conservative, religious, Christian right. That's where that's coming from. So when you start feeling scared or weird about telling a new partner that you uh, tested positive for HPV or HSV or whatever, just know that those feelings are a, a product of a direct piece of manipulation and that you can, you can try to overcome them and that you can work through them. I think it's funny that you made that, that distinction about the way content is being made by the right against sex. I, I feel like, especially conservatives, use sex to scare people, and mm -hmm. the left uses sex to sell people things. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that's, the, that's the, the, the dichotomy there. Yeah, and it's rare that we have, like, a pretty even keel, body positive, sex positive moment where it's like, oh, it's just a thing we all do. Yeah, it's usually, <laughs> oh, here's a body positive moment brought to you by Dove. <laughs> right. Buy our sexy things, but only buy the clean sexy things, not those dirty whores. There's still the dichotomy of what's good sexy and bad sexy. Right, right. So we're using affective conventions is a word that I'm, I'm seeing in the literature, which means we're using words that create feelings and we're seeing them in advertising, we're seeing them in medical research, in, in um, 
in the media and they create this sort of uh, normalcy and normativity of sexual shame and fear and disgust. And even nonprofits like the AIDS Healthcare Foundation are using fear tactics and scare tactics. They have billboards that say, no one wants an STD or, um, you know, syphilis is serious. And we'll, we'll return to that campaign a little bit later. Um, but this kind of language leads you to feel like, oh, my God, you know, no, nobody wants an STI. Nobody wants an STD. They're horrible. They're scary. They ruin your sex life. And it's like, okay, just chill a minute. Just chill. No, they don't have to ruin your sex life. And you can take control of your own sexual health in such a way that you do not need to be dominated by fear, shame, and disgust. So one of the first things that you need in order to arm yourself against this kind of culture is information. So let's talk about some basic information. The most common sexually transmitted infection is HPV, which is the human papillomavirus, also known as warts. There's over 100 strains of HPV. Uh, they like to live in various places on your body. So people get warts on their knees and their hands and on their face and on their genitals. You can get warts anywhere on your body. And so HPV as an STI is HPV that has decided to live in your genital area. Um, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, says that HPV is so common that almost every person who is sexually active will get HPV at some point in their life if they don't get the vaccine. Almost every sexually active person will get HPV in their life. I just, it's like, just sit with that for a second. Like, if you haven't already had HPV, you're very likely to get it. You may not ever know that you get it because HPV is one of these STIs that likes to lurk quietly <laughs> and not show up. Um, and especially for um, vagina owning people, if you have a vagina and a cervix, um, you are very likely to have no visible symptoms of HPV. And the only way that you're ever going to find out that you had it is through getting screened for cervical cancer at your pap smear. So there are over 100 strains. It's very, very common. Lots of people get it on their genitals, totally normal. And also, there's only a few strains that cause cancer. So there is a vaccine for HPV that targets um, over half of the cancer-causing strains. Every time they redo the vaccine, they, they are able to add a few more strains of HPV that they're targeting. And so the vaccine is recommended for people who are teen, like teens up until, I think, 26 years old at this point. Again, personal choice about whether or not you believe in vaccines, but HPV is low risk. It's not, the symptoms are like, tiny bumps that do nothing. You don't have any other symptoms usually. It, it's not associated with any of the painful symptoms that you might imagine when you think of STI and STD. Um, so do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of HPV. <laughs> yeah, the, um, the vaccine that you just mentioned is called Gardasil, and the current formula that was produced in 2014 uh, protects against nine uh, HPV types seven of those are uh, higher risk types that, that, will, that could lead to, to cancer. Okay, so we're gonna move on to HSV. So HPV is human papillomavirus or warts. HSV, herpes simplex virus. Okay, first of all, do your part to reduce stigma. Do your part. The next time someone makes a joke about herpes, stop them. First of all, 
It's stupid to make jokes about STIs and STDs. It's rude since many of us have them slash most of us have them. But second of all, it's part of the stigma that makes it really hard for people to talk about their sexual health with each other. And guess what? STIs spread when people don't talk. So interrupt herpes stigma when it happens. Herpes comes in two strains, HSV1 and HSV2. HSV1 is more often associated with oral herpes and cold sores, and HSV2 is more associated with genital outbreaks. But you can have an HSV1 outbreak on your anogenital area. Anogenital is a word, guys. It's a great word. I love um, that word. <laughs> you know, just down there. It's like the medical word for down there. <laughs> it's the medical word for taint. <laughs> Um, so you can have HSV-1 on your anogenital area and vice versa. So it's outdated to say oral herpes or genital herpes because that's just not how herpes works. Herpes just uh, goes where it goes. Um, and we're seeing actually a, a increase in HSV-1 outbreaks in the genital area in part, <laughs> they think, because, you know, the kids are really into oral sex these days. <laughs> Good for the kids. <laughs> Um, and millennial can confirm. (laughs) (laughs) So the estimates of the prevalence of HSV, um, vary, but herpes, the estimates are like either one in six or even one in four people in the U S have the herpes virus, uh, in their body. They may never have an outbreak. So again, an STI, and then there's people who have herpes outbreaks and that would be considered an STD because you're seeing the symptoms. Um, but this means that herpes is more common than asthma. That's one of the things that really blows my mind when I think about the shame and the stigma and the silence around sexually transmitted infections is like, it's not even that common to have asthma as it is to have herpes. And we're like, let's not talk about herpes unless we're being stupid. Um, Okay, so that's herpes. Herpes, uh, so HPV, little tiny warts, um, they can show up in lots of different ways. They can be bumps, they can be circles, they can be cauliflower shaped. If you have a bump, get it checked out. It might just be an ingrown hair or it might be a wart. HSV is herpes. Uh, herpes sores are actual sores. They're, they're not closed the way an HPV wart is. A herpes sore is more like a pimple. It'll come to a head and what in the medical term for it is erupt, (laughs) which I think is kind of special. Um, and they can be very, very painful. It also comes with other symptoms such as uh, flu like symptoms where you're achy, you might get a fever. Uh, a herpes outbreak can be really uncomfortable, really painful. It can affect your mood. It can affect all kinds of systems in your body. So if somebody is in a herpes outbreak, it's a time to be kind and supportive. Um, HIV, human immunodeficiency virus. This is the STI that actually most people have the most education about because of these campaigns that were happening in the late 90s and early 2000s. So quickly, HIV is the virus that precedes AIDS. And I want to talk mostly about PrEP, um, which is the pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP. It's now an option for people who are at higher risk of contracting HIV. Uh, Most insurance plans cover it. And daily PrEP, it's a pill you take, reduces the risk of getting HIV from sex by 90%. 
and it reduces the risk among people who inject drugs by over 70%. So it's a really effective preventive measure for people who are engaged in sex with men or are doing IV drugs. They're also prescribed, they're not, most insurance companies aren't covering it for women at this point yet, although because we are seeing increased rates of HIV in women, hopefully that will be available for women soon. There is a generic to Truvada that should be coming out on the market soon. Um, this coming after the makers of Truvada Gilead are releasing a newer version of it that doesn't have as much uh, effect on the kidneys and liver as the first version of Truvada did. That's caused a, a, an interesting little divide in which like, you're pretty much guaranteeing that people who have access to better insurance and, and lower copays are going to get the new Truvada that doesn't have side effects on the kidney and liver and then everybody else who doesn't have those things are or are on state-funded services are going to get the generic version that, that does have more of a side effect on uh, a person's kidney or liver. Also, speaking on Truvada and kind of this halfway point in between uh, HSV and HIV, studies have shown that that daily pill Truvada for PrEP, pre-exposure prophylaxis for HIV, can reduce um, a person's incidence of um, both both contracting herpes simplex virus 2 and also um, it can lessen transmission mm. the way uh, we think of um, like Valtrex doing. Wow, that's super cool. I didn't know about that. And I just wanted to really emphasize one thing that you said, Vanessa, when you specifically said people who have sex with men because so much of the HIV and AIDS education still is rooted in this homophobic idea that it's just the gay disease. So you'll frequently hear HIV prevention targeting men who have sex with men, but there's a whole lot of women who also have sex with men who think that HIV is not spread through heterosexual sexual heterosexual sexual activity and that is just completely false right and needs to be counteracted so the three stis that i've discussed so far hpv hsv and hiv all have something in common who knows what it is they all start with h <laughs> they all end in v they're all viruses so there's a big difference to your body between a virus and a bacteria um, all three of these viruses, once you have them, you have them. They're, we don't have cures for viruses. Your body just fights them. And um, with, with the aid of antiviral therapies, you can fight them pretty effectively. So for herpes, a lot of people take Valtrex or Acyclovir, and these drugs are really effective in suppressing symptoms of herpes. For HIV, you have PrEP before transmission and then if you if you do contract HIV there's a number of drugs that are out there to help manage your symptoms and your viral load so viruses do stick with you it is something that when it happens you do have to change the way you do things because for the most part you are now 
in control of and in charge of not only your own sexual health, but the sexual health of your partners because your odds of transmitting a virus go up once you have it. So once you have an STI, if you, even if you don't have any symptoms, let's say you get a panel done um, of blood work and it turns out you've got antibodies for, for HIV, that means that now you need to pay attention to your sexual health practices in a totally new way because you're not necessarily going to be able to just get rid of it. So the viruses are something that people do need to take seriously in the sense that you need to be getting tested and taking care of your sexual health regardless, but a virus is something that sticks with you. The thing that's important about these viruses is that we don't have cures for them. A body can heal an HPV infection. So let's say you get a flu virus and then you get better. You don't walk around saying, well, I have the flu forever, right? You healed yourself of the flu. <laughs> you got better, right? And the same thing can happen with HPV. Herpes is a little bit different. It, it's a virus that lives in your, um, in your spinal cord, and so it does actually stick with you. You can control symptoms. You can never have an outbreak again, and you can suppress your viral shedding, uh, but herpes does stay in your body. HIV also stays in your body. You can control symptoms, you can suppress the virus, but the virus stays in your body. And that is something that is different between these types of viruses and bacterias or, virus or viruses that you can heal from. So let's move on to the bacterias. What is, what's special about a bacteria? You can take an antibacterial. We, we live in an era of antibiotics and you can take a pill that will actually eradicate the infection. The three most common bacterial infections on the STI list are chlamydia, gonorrhea, and trichomyces, but we're gonna talk about syphilis today. Um, <laughs> chlamydia and gonorrhea are both on the rise and so is syphilis according to the Centers for Disease Control. Um, they're pretty careful to, to make it clear that we also are having increased testing so we're having numbers go up on these things probably because we're seeing more and more people getting tested for them. Um, their prevalence in the population is going up. The population is also going up. Um, it's, hard, it's hard to know exactly how to read these numbers, and some people interpret the epidemiology to say, we're having an epidemic of syphilis, and then some, some people are like, you know, diseases kind of come and go. They come in waves, we take care of them, then they come back. Syphilis happens to be having sort of a, a moment right now. Um, and so that's one of the reasons why we're going to talk about it. But those three are bacterial infections. Their symptoms are varying among people. Not everyone has symptoms. But the symptoms tend to be discomfort during sex, discomfort during urination. You can have um, with syphilis in stage two, you start getting a rash on other places in your body. With chlamydia and gonorrhea, your symptoms are going to stay mostly in the pelvic area. You might have pelvic pain. You might have burning sensation. You might have discharge that's um, abnormal. So if you ever have any changes, I mean, really what the, um, what the medical community seems to be mostly suggesting is that if you have any changes to your normal functioning, just get it checked out because symptomology 
neurology is so different for different people that it's you just you need to get tested to know what's going on. But those things can all be cured with antibiotics. Anything either one of you want to add before we move on? The antibiotics for chlamydia are the exact same antibiotics for sinus infections. We're talking about something most people have gone through, but you should be careful if you're on hormonal birth control and taking antibiotics at the same time. It does make hormonal birth control less effective. Okay, so there's some of your basic information. Let's talk about what you do if you have taken the important adulting step of getting uh, your yourself checked out. And let's say you test positive for something. So first of all, hopefully, as soon as you test positive, you're also moving forward with some kind of treatment or management of symptoms. And we're going to just model a couple of ways to think and talk about disclosure. Because one of the things that happens when people get a positive test for any STI is they immediately think, well, that's it. No more sex for me. (laughs) Or no one's going to want to have sex with me now. Or my sex life is over. Or really depressing and horrifying things can come to mind when you have a positive test. And I'd like to just remember, that's because of the scare tactics that are being used, not because of the medical reality of your STI. For this, we wanted to model some conversations on disclosure around sexually transmitted infections. The conversation that we're going to model is specifically geared towards disclosing syphilis to a partner. And syphilis, we chose specifically because in these conversations, we are talking about a curable, easily treatable STI. These conversations do tend to change pretty dramatically on a couple different factors, Mm -hmm. one of which being whether it's treatable or curable. Mm -hmm. And specifically, HIV is a very it has a different weight in terms of disclosure. Mm-hmm. So let's let's set the scene for these conversations. Lauren and I are playing a uh, a pair of people who have recently had a hookup, um, and Lauren is in the middle of her testing schedule and just found out she has syphilis. And it was a really awesome hookup, and I was really looking forward to more potential hookups. <laughs> And I have no idea how Danny is going to react when I give him this news. So this is her phone call to Danny. Hello? Hi, Danny. Do you have a few minutes to talk? Sure. What's up? Okay, so really enjoyed hooking up with you a couple weeks ago and really looking forward to hopefully doing it again soon-ish. But I need to tell you something. I'm kind of nervous. What is it? Oh, God, you're not married, are you? Oh, oh God, no. No, 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 no. Nothing like that. Um, Okay, good. (laughs) No, it's just that I went and had some blood work done, and my STI test results came back positive with syphilis. It's treatable. I already got my antibiotic shot, but I want to let you know so you could get tested, too. Wait, 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 wait. What are you telling me, that I have syphilis? Well, yes. See, I get tested every three months, like clockwork. I'm not sure if this has happened before we got together or not, but wanted to tell you so you can take care of your health. What? Are you kidding me? Who gave it to you? Well, that's that's not... 
I, I bet don't... you don't even know who gave it to you. Okay, it's not that big of a deal. It's easily treatable. You can get taken care of with your doctor or at a free clinic. Not that big of a deal? This is the worst news I've ever gotten. <sighs> okay, well, I just wanted to let you know. That, that's that's all. Ugh, well, thanks, I guess. Look, don't don't call me again. Okay. So this is the part where I say, yeah, this is totally not going to work out. Or, now, wait, say that because I feel like I should say that. <laughs> I mean, this is the <laughs> shitty scenario in which the really rude and horrible person does something really rude and horrible, which is express disgust, express slut shaming, express um, clearly they, they are not informed and no interest in being yeah. informed. Um so a lot of people have experienced this kind of stigma and this kind of rudeness. And we're, we're showcasing it here as like a piece of assholery <laughs> that, if, <laughs> that if someone does that to you, you know, fuck them. Like, that's not how anyone should treat don't, anyone. Don't fuck them. <laughs> or don't fuck them. Right. Sorry. Yeah. Don't. Don't. They don't deserve it. So let's try again. Let's see what it looks like to have a disclosure conversation that goes well. Hello? Hey, Danny. Um, do you have a few minutes to talk? Hey, sure, Lauren. What's up? Okay, so I really enjoyed hooking up with you a couple weeks ago and am really looking forward to hopefully doing it again soon. But I need to tell you something. I'm kind of really nervous. What is it? Oh, God. You're not married, are you? Oh, God, no. No, 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 no. It's nothing like that. Okay, good. <laughs> I just... It's just I went I went and had some blood work done and my STI result test results came back positive with syphilis. It's easily treatable. I already got my antibiotic shot, but I want to tell you so you could go and get tested too. Wait, wait, what are you telling me that I'm I might have syphilis? Well, yeah. See, I I get tested every three months, like clockwork. I'm not sure if this happened before we got together or not. But I wanted to tell you so you can take care of your health. Well, cool. Thanks for telling me. Um, I'll call my doctor tomorrow to make an appointment. Um, wow. But you know what this means, right? No. What, what does it mean? Well, that if I'm positive for syphilis, we'll have to wait another 7 to 10 days after I get treated to <laughs> do that thing again. <laughs> That, that is a real bummer, but I am even more excited to see you again now. <laughs> oh my God, this is such a relief. Thank you for being awesome about this. No problem. I really enjoyed seeing you and um, yeah, we'll talk soon and uh, I'll go get tested and I'll let you know what's up. Awesome. Sounds great. Can't wait. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Really, really different attitude right and also i i think there's there's the possibility of someone saying well thanks for letting me know like thanks for talking to me about it you know i i definitely have had partners who i think had stis that they never told me about right and so being with somebody who's willing to do a disclosure conversation who wants to discuss sexual health can feel like they're really respecting you and respecting your choices from the get-go um, and that's like, you know, to be able to, to look at, at, at Lauren, who's doing the disclosure in this scenario and say, that's really brave that you're willing to talk to me about this right away. Thank you for that. 
you know, that's also something if somebody ever does disclose to you to, to offer them that respect for their, um, for their courage. One more thing about disclosure conversations, I think, um, that came up uh, with an interview that we did over a year ago with Janet Huey on HPV, HSV, and the best sex of your life episode is what Janet has learned is that it's really good to have these conversations not only very early on in getting to know somebody or starting to feel a growing attraction, but without having physical contact with them. And it was her experience that when she did disclosure kind of across a table, you know, or, or seated with a little bit of distance, that it allowed the person to process the information without her feeling physically rejected right away. Because sometimes people just need to go through a little bit of like, oh, 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 this is a thing, you know, oh, I need to think about this. And they may not mean to reject you physically, but it can feel like it if you're touching them or if they're touching you while you're having this conversation. So that was a tip that we got that I thought was really helpful is like, just have a little bit of respectful conversational distance about this so that if the person is going to be an asshole, first of all, you're not in contact with them. But second of all, if they need a minute to kind of process the information that they get to have a little bit of space to do that. Thank you to so much for, for playing. <laughs> Thanks for playing. <laughs> um, and I hope these conversations have been helpful to people. I would also encourage you to have these sort of role play conversations with your friends before this becomes a thing, like a practice interview, maybe a practice disclosure. Um, so thank you so much for joining us again on The Dresser Listeners. We are, uh, we're, we're so thrilled to have you. And um, this show is produced by the voices you're hearing here. I'm Vanessa Carlisle. I'm Danny Cruz. I'm Lauren Kiley. Our music is by Lou Gomez. You can find past episodes of our show on SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, uh, Apple Podcasts. Please do the thing and rate and review and share it. It really helps us. Um, If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, signal boosts, if you want to uh, let us know something that you really want us to do a podcast on or a question that you have that you want us to answer on the podcast, we're here for you on the dresser at gmail.com. Yeah, we are a podcast, so open up the voice memo app on your phone and send us a question or reach out to us that way. Yes, absolutely. You can also find us at Facebook and Twitter at OnTheDresser. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at XOXOLaurenKiley. You can find me on the Twitter at It's Danny Cruz. Vanessa? <laughs> you can find me at V Carlisle. C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. Okay, all power to the people. All All pleasure to the people. people. Good Good night night and good fuck. fuck.